Hi, welcome to the Blended Science Podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you are safe and are still observing the necessary COVID-19 protocols. Indeed, COVID-19 has brought in a lot of stress in our lives, guys. And and I cannot imagine, you know, from losing jobs, from salary cuts to losing our loved ones. All of this has brought in a lot of stress and possibly anxiety. And people are actually going through clinical depression as well. So here I want to introduce our series on stress and anxiety and um, I'm going to define what stress is and what stress looks like and give you some tips on how one can acutely manage day-to-day stress. Now just as a disclaimer, I am a physiologist by training and the stuff that I'm sharing here is really based on literature search as well as my experience. But I will be bringing in counselors, experts in this field in the next coming episode. Now, if we define stress, really, um, we are looking at how our body responds either emotionally or psychologically to what it perceives as a threat, right? So whenever there's a threat, we are going to produce a particular response. And that response can be a good response. It could also be a bad response. I think the thin line between a good and a bad response is how able are we to cope with the threat. Now, it's been evident that throughout our lifetime, the human species has been able to survive because they were able to adjust to a change in environments. Now, the question I'd like to ask you as a listener is, do you have a good relationship with stress? Are you able to deal with your day-to-day stress inducers you know maybe you you are able to a certain extent and there are certain places where you feel like i'm failing and that's okay now before going any further i want to take us back into 1936 to a physiologist dr hans saley who worked on stress quite a lot he's considered the father of stress research so was interested in finding out a new hormone and he was injecting his laboratory rats with all different types of compounds, which include placental hormonal preparations, other tissue extracts, as well as some toxic substances as well. And to his surprise and to his disappointment, he observed that all his rats had similar biological response in terms of their stress. So in other words, their stress response was similar, was the same. This response included the enlargement of the adrenal glands, which are important in the production of adrenaline to help us in the fight or flight response. And they also saw a shrinkage of the lymphatic organs that helps fight infections. And then they also saw the ulceration in the small intestines as well as the stomach. So he attributed all these changes to three phases of stress, which he collectively called the general adaptive syndrome. And this was characterized by an alarm phase where we are perceiving the threat, the adaptive phase where we are now adapting to a stressor, as well as the exhaustive stage whereby the body is unable to respond well to a stressor. Unfortunately, most of Han's work, particularly the notion that stress is not specific, has been challenged by modern research. However, the notion of the general adaptive syndrome is quite useful in helping us understand how stress works. And I'm going to use my personal experience, you know, me being hijacked in 2018 and how that stress of being hijacked 
turned into a mild anxiety. So as I was dropping off one of my friends, um, there was this white car that emerged out of nowhere and were held at gunpoint. They took the car, right? And I always think of this, um, my response, the initial response would have been the alarm stage, fight or flight. Unfortunately, at that point, I couldn't fight and I couldn't run away. So I froze. So maybe we should adapt this and be like, this is fight or flight or freeze. Anyway, um, so at that stage, there was adrenaline being produced. There was another hormone being produced, which is cortisol, which was helping me deal with the stress at hand, right? And um, very quickly, I had to adapt to the fact that I do not have a car. I had to adapt to the fact that my insurance wasn't going to give me um, a courtesy car. And I had to adapt to the fact that my insurance had to take for about three months to, you know, to be approved. But with much persistence and God's grace, I was able to have my insurance approved even after the police tried selling me the stripped off car <laughs> which was very funny anyway let us fast forward to 2021 where i all of a sudden i'm having dreams and flashbacks of that particular event almost every day I am dreaming of either being hijacked or my car being taken away. I'm hyper vigilant, you know, when I'm waiting for the gate to our complex to open. I'm always checking whether, you know, another car is going to come up. When I'm driving at night, I don't want any car behind me. I just hit the accelerator just to make sure that my wife and I are safe. And maybe to give you a bit of context, you know, before me being hijacked, I'd recently lost my father you know, and it's either I'm dreaming about my father, the conversation I had with my father on the way to the hospital, of which it was the same day, you know, when he passed on and the conversations we're having, he would tell me that, you know, Gazi, I have these particular symptoms. I don't think I'm going to make it, you know, and, and, and I keep having these conversations. I keep having these dreams. If it's not him, it's the the loss of the car. And I actually lost another car before being hijacked. So it's quite a, an entanglement. So why am I telling you all of this? This is because these are signs of a post-traumatic stress syndrome. And I definitely need to see a therapist so that I can get a proper diagnosis, proper treatment as well. Because self-diagnosis is not always good. But based on my reading, I'm leaning more towards the fact that I may have PTSD. And I'm telling you all of this because I know mental health challenges are always looked at in a funny way. You know, you know, people with mental health challenges are always given names. You know, you, you call people a psycho or you hear someone say, I'm OCD about this. I'm OCD about that. As a matter of fact, an obsessive compulsive disorder is a serious mental challenge and people who live with OCD will tell you how painful it is where they worry about the fact that they are worried. They worry about the fact that they are anticipating worry. They worry about the fact that they are being worried about what they initially anticipated and then they go home and worry about the fact that they couldn't deal with the worry that they initially anticipated and it just becomes a, a big cycle and then a person struggles to sleep, you know, there's insomnia because usually you think, okay, I've had a bad day. Let me go to sleep so that I can rest. 
But because anxiety is generally linked with insomnia, the anxiety sufferer will then struggle to sleep. And then it becomes another big cycle. And then the next thing a person asks themselves is, why, why am I here on earth, you know, if I have to suffer like this? So guys, if you are living with someone who has a mental challenge, be kind to them. If you are living with a mental challenge, please seek help as soon as you can. Now, before I end this episode, which was meant to be an introduction of our series, really, um, I want to give you some tools. I don't want to call them recommendations because, you know, I can't be giving recommendations via a podcast. But these are just tools that I use um, to manage my own stressors, my own day-to-day stressors. And the first one is an obvious one. It's physical exercise. You know, we cannot overemphasize this enough. Physical exercise has a lot of benefits. Recent data shows that high-intensity interval training generally reduces anxiety. And it does this by facilitating the production of a molecule called brain-derived neurotropic factor, abbreviated as BDNF. So this BDNF is associated with cognitive improvement, alleviation of depression, as well as anxiety. And the same molecule is also seen to facilitate the formation of new neurons in the hippocampus, an area in the brain that is responsible for memory. And the same hippocampus is very sensitive to our stress hormone, which is cortisol. So guys, let us keep moving, really. Let's let's exercise. Um, normally, when I feel like I don't want to exercise, I just tell myself that I'm going to do a five minutes exercise, which sometimes ends up being a 15 minutes to 30 minutes exercise. Another thing that I do is to time my meals very well. So I make sure that in the morning I avoid sugar. This is, of course, very applicable to me because I don't have diabetes mellitus and I don't get decreased um blood glucose concentrations which is called hypoglycemia so i avoid sugar in the morning i avoid high carbohydrates in the morning you might wonder why um this is because avoiding sugar and carbohydrates for me helps me clear my brain um oftentimes when i have a high sugar drink whether it's a coffee or a high carbohydrate meal almost seems like i'm swimming in syrup and i don't like that state of high glucose in the blood while i'm waiting for the pancreas to secrete my insulin and lower the glucose concentrations and i also do the same thing for my lunch as well because if i have a big meal during my lunch chances are i'm gonna be sleepy or sluggish and that day is generally gone so it helps me to focus and one of the main stress inducers for me on a day-to-day basis is being unable to complete all the tasks that i initially planned to do and food is a major factor to that and the third thing that i do is um to get enough sleep i know i used to be praised for not sleeping as a student and most of our heroes as well people we look up to will tell you that you know i sleep five hours i sleep four hours but i can tell you right now that strong research evidence tells us that sleep deprivation is strongly associated with anxiety. And this was confirmed by a meta-analysis paper where they looked at 34 studies which looked at the same thing and they all came to the same conclusion. So the fourth and the last thing that I do to manage stress is breathing exercises. 
Okay, so there are two breathing exercises that I know of. There's the first one, which is called a physiological sigh, whereby you inhale for the count of two, and then you follow up with a long exhale. The one that I like is called the 478 breathing exercise, where you inhale for the count of four, hold your breath for a count of seven, and exhale for a count of eight. I think more data is still needed to confirm the physiological mechanisms behind the calming effects of the breathing exercises, but they are definitely helping me personally. So ladies and gents, let us have a better relationship with stress. Let us be more aware of how our body is dealing with stressors and let us talk more about mental health really and um, i'll see you guys in the next episode where i'll be interviewing a counselor who will be telling us more about stress and anxiety thank you so much for listening i hope you have enjoyed this episode and um, it, it has been a, a challenging episode because <laughs> at some point i was stressed by the fact that i'm stressed by the fact that i'm doing this episode and i've had to deal with quite a lot um, i had to personally process a lot of things so that when i'm sharing this information information it's not just you know um, a skeleton of information but it has a little bit of my personality as well so be sure to share it with your friend be sure to follow us on the different podcast distributors and please have a blessed day i'm signing out bye